Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, just me today. Uh, we're actually doing a show today that's uh, a little bit ahead of the news. Um, you know, a lot of times, as, as all of you know, we we love to have uh, small companies, startup companies come on the show. Um, today, we're very lucky that uh, we're actually having one of the startups that we had a little while ago, um, and we'll get into this, uh, come back to the show and, and tell us how they've grown and tell us how the market's evolving and so forth. So um, excited to uh, have uh, Madura Muskoski, uh, who's co-founder and VP of product from Platform9. So welcome to the show. Welcome. Uh, thanks for being on. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on. And I'm really excited. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before. Um, so we had your other co-founder, uh, Suresh, on almost a year ago now. You guys were, were just coming out of stealth. Um, it was it was right before VMworld uh, 2014 now. So you were kind of getting the word out there. Um, so first off, you know, give us some of your background because your background is, is very, very interesting. Um, not only your background, uh, but also kind of how the company's evolved over the last year, some of the lessons that you guys have learned. Yes, definitely. So a little bit of background about myself. Um, I came to United States in 2002 to pursue my master's in computer science. Before that, I did my bachelor's and my education in India, in Pune. And so I came here to pursue master's. Um, Stanford was just a wonderful place. Uh, I think it was, for me, it was the most ideal place to be in this country because the weather is just perfect. And I fell in love with the university. Right, so I finished my master's and then joined Oracle in their database automatic storage management team for about a year, year and a half. And then I switched and joined VMware because I had a number of my friends from Stanford joining that company. Um, so I spent about eight years or so at VMware, primarily as a technical person. I was a technical lead and architect as part of vCloud Director. That's VMware's, uh, that used to be VMware's private cloud management product. Yep. So that was that was my most recent project in, at VMware. And then before that, I spent quite a bit of time working as part of vCenter for some time, um, uh, VMware Lab Manager, VMware Update Manager, so a number of products in VMware's management portfolio. And so that's, that's really where my context behind what we're doing at Platform9 comes from, and that's also where I met all of my co-founders. So Sharif Raghuram, who you've had on the podcast last year, um, who's my co-founder and CEO, and Rupak Parikh, who leads engineering at Platform9, and Bik Lee, who's our principal architect. I met all of them back at VMware. Um, in fact, the time when I first interviewed, uh, these these folks were part of the team I was joining. So it has been an exciting time spending all these years with them at VMware, and then starting something new with them felt just like the right thing to do. Yep. Um, and then so back in late 2013, we started Platform9, um, and uh we started Platform Line with this really simple vision, right? Which is still our mission statement today. And it is to make private clouds at any scale for organizations of any size extremely simple and intuitive and out of the box and possible. Right. And in order to achieve that, we have what we consider a unique model around how we enable our end users to build private clouds. So we are an OpenStack provider. But what's unique about our offering is that we package OpenStack and deploy it as a web service, right? So it's a SaaS offering 
It's enterprise-grade OpenStack delivered to you, designed for management of your private infrastructure, um, but it's delivered to you as a service. Yep. Yeah. No. And and I, so I, I'm I'm actually very excited about the way that you guys bring this to market. So I, I've been saying for a long time because I did a, a whole bunch of work, um, you know, trying to kind of put together various types of solutions. In, in a lot of cases, private cloud solutions. And the biggest thing to me that I always ran into to problems with was. Um, you know, number one, the, the cloud management stacks were incredibly expensive. You know, the licensing of them were expensive in, in some extent, complicated in other extent. Um, but, but even more so just standing it up and operating it was, was really complicated for most customers because as much as they wanted the outcome, they just didn't have the skills in house. And anybody who was trying to sell that as software had the, you know, the inherent problem of saying, okay, I know I'm selling the exact same software, but I've got to teach you, I've got to teach you how this works and I've got to build your learning curve and I've got to do that. And so what you guys are doing in terms of basically saying, I can deliver you the outcome, which is, um, you know, the opera, you know, sort of the, uh, opera, operationalizing, you know, private cloud. Um, but you guys own all of the learning curve of it. People just consume it. That, that to me is, is really, really powerful. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to sort of hear, how your learnings have evolved in this space and, and how customers have, have accepted um, that proposition. Definitely. You know, and that was really the core of the problem that we wanted to tackle because um, we got to see this a lot at VMware, right? I mean, I remember going on this uh, US-wide tour of VMware enterprise customers not too long ago before I left VMware. Um, and this tour was in the context of vCloud Director. These were some of VMware's key vCloud Director customers, some really large, mid to large size enterprises um, who were running pretty sophisticated environments. Um, and I remember majority of this, these discussions would be around some of the challenges that they were experiencing or had experienced in just materializing that cloud, right? Just getting it up and running and, and configured and having the networking components com- configured and then having that comfort um, coupled with the right skill set to be able to run it on an ongoing basis and maintain it and manage it and deliver and SLA to their internal teams, the kind of SLA that Amazon promises to you as a public cloud. It was definitely um, a pretty big challenge. And then so what we felt that we, you know, we we felt passionately that um, public clouds are, uh, while public clouds have a ton of value, right, there are a number of enterprises which, you know, dominate majority of the virtualized infrastructure today, which are not going to be open to an all-public solution for a number of reasons, right? For uh, control over cost, control over security, visibility, and so forth. But so um, in order to enable an alternative for them, which is just as compelling and viable, we realized that we really had to take away a lot of this complexity involved in getting that cloud up and running. Um, So we thought if we could deliver to them a management fabric, which is of the same quality as Amazon, but if we could make it available to them um, as a SaaS service, then the experience would be just as simple as it is when you consume your CRM software, when you consume Salesforce, for example, or when you consume Gmail. Um, you know, we use Gmail for enterprise today, and we literally rely on Google for doing everything behind the scenes, and we are just focused on consuming, right? And so that's really the trend that is emerging. If you look at the number of applications that we're consuming today in the SaaS format versus 
those applications uh, I would say five to ten years ago that were being consumed in on-premise um, on-premise model, uh, there has been this significant shift, right? And we felt the timing is right for enterprise virtualized infrastructure to go through through this type of um, transitioning or transforming of experience as well. Um, and so that was the thesis with which we started. And we believe pretty strongly that as we introduce this model, this model is fairly unique and new to enterprise IT environments, right? They're not, they're not always used to having their infrastructure managed through a hosted controller. Mm-hmm. So we thought that uh, we'll likely run into a market which is, uh, you know, divided in the half where, uh, you know, half of the market just loves us because of the simplicity and out-of-the-box experience that we deliver. And potentially the other half will absolutely not even want to go near us, uh, would not want to touch us because of security and other reasons. Right. That was sort of the thesis that we had, but we felt even if we are able to tap into half of the market, it's, it's a pretty significant opportunity yeah. um, or even less than that, right? Yep. Yeah, and now, I, I, go I, ahead. I always thought about this as, you know, the, when you when you start talking about private cloud, you, you sort of run into three things. One is... Um, you know, the skills needed to, to run the cloud, which you guys mm-hmm. are now essentially providing as a service. Um, mm-hmm. There was the the pushback of people saying, like, I don't know where my data is going to be. And and you address part of that, or at least you, you address most of that by saying, look, um, leave your data on premise uh, mm-hmm. or on premises. Uh, you know, don't you don't have to think about shared cloud storage. Um, you, you, you know, the customer owns the equipment. They own the facilities. Um, you're simply providing that. And then really the, the last piece of it becomes, um, you know, can they, can they figure out internally how to do the economics of, of kind of on-demand resources, which just simply means there's got to be a mechanism to tell both the IT organization and the procurement office, hey, we're using X amount of the resources. It might be time to buy some more, if, you know, looking at our, our usage models and so forth. And so it feels like mm-hmm. you've solved two-thirds of those and, you, you know, you let the customer then go, okay, you know you can now basically buy additional resources based on how much you're, you know, you know that you're using them and so forth. That's exactly right. And we, and we try to simplify every single aspect of that, um, of that problem, just like you said. So we simplify your infrastructure uh, management to just having to rack and stack a bunch of Linux servers, yep. right? That's all you need to do. Standard out-of-the-box networking, standard storage, it could be all local storage or a combination. Um, we can work with any of this combination. So you can go as advanced as you want, and you can adopt software-defined storage and networking. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. You can go with the most basic setup, and your cloud will, will work out-of-the-box right away through that as well. Um, so just having simplified that requirement uh, you know, or the compatibility layer adds to the uh, to the proposition of uh, overall simplicity and being able to get that cloud up and running in a an extremely out of the box way. Right, right, yeah, and that to me is that's powerful. And you know, and when, when you talk about you know how much of the market can you cover, you know, I suspect that the types of customers that uh, adopt your your operational model are the ones that say, look, you know, our focus should be on applications. Our focus shouldn't be so much on infrastructure. Let somebody else do that. Um, and and those you know realistically are bit, will will be the ones if if their applications are helping to drive their business will be the ones that will help drive your business sort of uh, in parallel I would think. That's exactly right, and, and you know in reality we've actually been pretty surprised by how much of the market we have been able to tap into 
Um, we were anticipating a much significant portion of ma- of the market would just be pretty apprehensive about this approach. But I think what has happened is that the uh, the market as a whole has moved and has become much more accustomed with uh, consuming a lot of applications in a SaaSified format. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are uh, there are uh, applications like Okta today, which are handling your um, you know single sign-on and aspects of your security in a cloud delivered model. Right. Right. So, so I think increasingly as uh, administrators are building more and more comfort towards this model, it, uh, it's, it's helping companies like us. Yep. Um, and so we do end up having pretty thorough and detailed security related discussions. And that's an absolutely important component of our offering. Right. So we make it a point to build that trust with our customers that this is an absolutely secure way to build your cloud. In fact, we take pride in saying that this is even more secure than potentially what you would design with your own, own environment, right? Because our bread and butter depends on this. Right, right. And well, and I, and I think in, um, you know, we, we talked before the show, you guys recently hired a, a, somebody who's a, a good friend of our show, uh, Ken, uh, Kenneth Hoy. And yep. he's, he's been doing a nice job of, of building a set of um, it, written a bunch of blogs lately uh, that are sort of technical references that basically I don't see a lot of cloud providers do, which is basically, let me tell you how we run our operations behind the scenes. And to me, what jumped out was, you know, there's a level of transparency um, that, that you do still have to provide people with how do things work? Because if you're, you're asking them to go, Hey, trust me, you know, we're going to run this thing you know, there's always that inherent engineering curiosity of like, well, what are they doing? And they tell me it's highly available, but what does that really mean? And so, you know, it's, it's nice to see you guys realizing that that transparency is, is sort of necessary to help, you know, calm people's fears potentially and, and help them understand, oh, okay, that's what they're doing. I don't have to run it, but I get a sense of, you know, that what they're doing is sort of follows the best practices that, that people would typically follow. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that, that transparency is a really critical core part of our culture in general. Um, we're a company that you know tries to be completely transparent, not only inside but with our customers. More importantly, right? And uh, and look, we're part of an open source project. Our business is dependent on OpenStack, which is uh, you know which is based on an open source project, which is all about openness, transparency, sharing code, etc. Right? So we're big believers of that in general, and so and so we're you know, big believers in sharing our knowledge and all the expertise that we are building or have built in building these, uh, you know, large-scale clouds for our customers um, so that if any of our end users could benefit from that, it's uh, it's fantastic, right? And then, and then we've definitely seen that customers really appreciate that transparency. So when you just get down into the details, when you start whiteboarding and really explaining to them um, from bottoms up how things work, um, these are really intelligent people, right? We're dealing with uh, IT administrators who understand the, you know, the lowermost intimate details of their infrastructure. So, so they appreciate that transparency, and um, you know that that builds the trust, which then helps uh, helps them satisfy their own internal users or their management that this is a completely secure way to build our cloud. You know, one of the things that that we've talked about on the show a few times, and at sort of at a higher sort of macro level, is you know, people like to talk about companies like Uber and Airbnb and and these sort of new companies that have this concept that they don't really own a lot of assets, but yet they're they're being disruptive and successful in their industries. You guys are a little bit like that from a cloud provider perspective in that 
you don't own data centers other than, you know, where you host your service, which literally could be anywhere. Um, but mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you let customers still own the asset that actually runs their business. You know, having, having been at a place where, you know, you were, you were selling commercial software, you sort of understand the, the economics of those licensing, like not owning those assets, like how much flexibility does that give you as a company or what does that let you do that maybe you completely couldn't do if, if you had to own assets, you know, run data centers, you know, have co-located facilities that people are renting from you? No, definitely. And I think that's a really, really good point. Um, you know, especially as a small startup, when you're just starting up and you're playing or working in the enterprise space, right, which is, um, it's a pretty, it's a challenging task in itself. And so any ways in which you can simplify your own requirements in terms of what it takes for you before you can deliver that enterprise class software or offering to your end user, right? Um, anything you can do to de-risk or simplify that uh, is, is really critical, yep. right? So from our perspective, not having any dependence on any hardware because our offering is purely software-based, so there's no hardware component that needs to be shipped or provided to the customer, um, as well as at least initially when we're small, um, not having to own massive data centers and huge amounts of capacity that we manage and we need to maintain a huge ops team to manage that in order to provide the, you know, this experience, this cloud hosted software to our customers was huge. Right. Right. right? Yeah. But because there's just no way we could offer the you know geographical availability uh, and a whole number of features that an enterprise class software requires. Um, we will be able to get to that point once we grow, and that's where we would want to get to, right? But uh, but not early on. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and again, it's early on. It's you know you want to overcome as many uh, you know pushbacks from customers as possible, get them liking what you do, and and uh, so no, I, I I like the approach that you guys are taking. Um, so we're we're recording this a little bit early. We're going to release this uh, next week and so forth, but. You're, you've got some big announcements coming. So you uh, you have an announcement around funding, but more so you have an announcement around uh, sort of interoperability from a VMware and, and OpenStack perspective. Talk about what you're announcing and, and what that interoperability means, you know, for customers and so forth. Absolutely. So, you know, earlier this year, when we when we announced general availability of our KVM support for platform line managed OpenStack, um, we also announced that we are making available VMware vSphere support in beta. And so VMware vSphere support has been in beta since, and it's received tremendous traction from our customers, right? Just the amount of VMware customers or the percentage of enterprise users who use VMware being significant, um, we saw that reflected in the uh, in the demand we saw for our VMware vSphere support. Um, and so, so it has been in beta now for about, six plus months and we got some great users a great amount of validation and testing and feedback data from them and we've utilized and incorporated all of that and so now i am happy to announce that uh, after the six plus month long beta um, the vmware vsphere support product has finally graduated it's finally gone into being generally available so, um, so as of now, Platform 9 Managed OpenStack is now generally available with both KVM as well as VMware vSphere support. And this was critical for us from uh, for a couple of reasons. Right? First of all, our key value proposition to our end users is that single pane of glass management fabric or management interface, which is OpenStack powered, which 
allows you to abstract out the details of underlying hypervisor to some extent. So it gives you the choice of plugging in either your existing VMware vSphere capacity or uh, a bunch of Linux servers or both side by side while giving the same consistent interface to your end users in terms of their self-service portal or the user interface, the APIs, the CLIs using which they'll access this infrastructure. And that opens up a ton of flexibility in terms of gradually moving towards a more hybrid environment, potentially reducing your vSphere footprint and adding more Linux or going the other way, right? The the core point is that uh, you have this abstraction layer now that gives you more flexibility. Um, And this was really important to do with VMware because, uh, you know, VMware vSphere is world's the most popular virtualization management platform, right? ESXi is the best hypervisor even today in terms of performance, et cetera. Um, And then OpenStack, on the other hand, is uh, one of the top most popular, most contributed open source projects. It's pretty much become the de facto standards for building private clouds. And so, you know, with this being true for a while still, the combination of OpenStack and VMware hadn't or still hasn't been as popular. And we found that pretty surprising. And we, we really think that uh, it's not either or in any ways, right? Um, OpenStack is that distributed next generation private cloud operating system, which is designed to work with, uh, uh, with a hypervisor of your choice. And we think VMware vSphere just makes a perfect combination to combine it with OpenStack because vSphere enables for an end user is uh, is a world-class, tried-and-tested, stable hypervisor um, virtualization platform that a user can rely on, can run his production workloads on, and can leverage all their production quality features such as high availability, fault tolerance, DRS, etc. Gotcha. gotcha. And then layering OpenStack on top now gives you that, uh, that, that next generation private cloud, REST APIs, CLIs, uh, better automation, better self-service, better orchestration, better manageability, right? Yeah. So we think it's a perfect combination. So for your early customers, your beta customers, you know, what were they running on OpenStack versus what were they running on VMware in, in terms of, you know, did it sort of fit the mold of kind of traditional Windows and, and stateful applications stayed on VMware and, and some modern stuff ran on OpenStack? Or did you see them going, you know, OpenStack is a nice lower cost alternative, um, but I get the virtualization, uh, you know, efficiencies. Like what, you know, I know every customer is a little bit different, but what type of trends were you seeing from from early customers, whether they were all OpenStack or a mix of, of OpenStack and VMware? Yeah, no, and that's a good question. So we saw a lot of our early customers really being interested in this product because uh, they knew they wanted to stay with VMware Stack. Uh, they did not want to switch away from that anytime. Uh, but they they needed to offer the self-service and automation benefits to their end users, which they weren't able to do today. Um, and so this is being able to offer the portal to your developers, your QA engineers, so that they can go and fire up their own VMs or fire up application containers with heat orchestration, right? And so that was really an important use case of interest that we saw with these early customers. Um, and some of them were, were wanted to do this to enable their DevOps or dev test workloads, like I said. Others are service providers who are trying to enable this for their, their end users in the most efficient way. And then in terms of applications, you know, there is a significant portion of VMware customers who runs um, traditional applications, right, which are not necessarily cloud native yet. So we saw a lot of interest from our customers in terms of building or moving towards more cloud-native 
applications. Um, they knew they're not going to get there right away. So, so they had their own ideas in terms of uh, wanting to support their current set of applications to their end users through self-service, and then giving them the option with OpenStack of building more applications or new applications which are more cloud-native. You know, by leveraging customization through cloud in it, by leveraging orchestration through heat, etc. Gotcha, gotcha. No, it makes that makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's uh, the the nice thing about it is again, it's it's that flexibility at the application layer. People just go, what do I want to try and do from an application perspective, and don't necessarily have to feel like they're bottlenecked by you know some decision they made about their infrastructure before, or just a you know inherent limitation of of whatever infrastructure they have. So that's that's very, very powerful. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about DevOps. Um, you know, anytime the DevOps conversation comes up, containers tends to come up kind of in parallel. Um, you've written a little bit about, you know, what's going on with the standardization uh, movement with containers, you know, between, say, Rocket and, and Docker and some other stuff going on. You lived in the middle of this when you were at VMware with, with the OVF standard and so forth. Do you, feel, right. do you feel like, um, you know, customers should should care about that at this point? Or is this really more, you know, the vendors need to, to, you know, the vendors and the communities need to work through this stuff. And and from a customer perspective, you'll just sort of reach a point where you go, I, I am interested in containers. I think the technology benefits me or, you know, I'll stick with virtual machines or something. What, what's your take on kind of the maturity of, of where containers fits into a bunch of these ecosystems? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it is something we've we discuss actively, right? Because we are uh, extremely interested in enabling container support through Platform 9, through OpenStack. Um, we know they're going to be a significant part of uh, future virtualized or containerized workloads, right? And then coming to the, the point about standardization, you know, at this point, as far as end users are concerned, as far as customers are concerned, the whole container movement is relatively early, right? And when I say early, what I mean is that we have customers' conversations on a regular basis and we really try to dig into their container interest um, or their current uh, you know, experiments, et cetera, with containers, if any. Um, and we observe for the, for the most part that a number of users are significantly interested in containerizing their applications, their workloads. They see benefits of it, but they're, um, they're relatively in early stages when it comes to um, uh, fully containerizing their applications, uh, testing those configurations, feeling comfortable with them. So a lot of, a lot of these users uh, have their dev test teams, their DevOps teams doing these experiments and starting to show some really good data. And we think that, that, you know, that, that picture is, uh, you know, is, is changing, it's gaining momentum. So it, it's not going to be in this state for, for a very long time. Right. And we, we understand and appreciate that and want to be part of that movement. But I feel like because uh, I, th- I think that from an end user's perspective right now, the core problem that they should be focusing on more so than the standardization is really are containers a good fit for what I'm trying to do? Um, and if yes, then what is that model or that architecture, whether it's a microservices-based model or whether it's running containers more as mon- monolithic uh, VM-like uh, independent entities? Right, whether what's the right model, what's the right set of services, or you know, storage network primitives, etc. Those are some really, really important questions that as, that, that an end user needs to tackle. Um, and then, 
coming to standardization, I think it is really an important question, right? Um, that, you know, as you mentioned, we were part of that movement back at VMware, and what VMware was trying to do um, was really critical in terms of establishing a standard which really kind of then abstracts out underlying details of what virtualization format you're using from an end user's perspective. Um, unfortunately, the you know the the effort that VMware is trying to do in the in the OVA or the you know open virtualization format standard didn't take um, did not become as as popular as um, as it was uh, right. expected to be, and then we today see some of the side effects of that. Right, we have customers who ask us, well, we have a lot of these VMware VMs, just as an example, and, and we would love to convert them, migrate them, and start running them on a KVM um, infrastructure. And is there an easy way to do that? And there really isn't an easy answer for that question. Um, so a good effort around standardization um, really enables or helps in answering these questions and providing the right tools for for end users. And so, and, and I think if anything, this this problem is even more important in case of containers because the core proposition for containers is the mo- mobility and being able to move your workloads around, uh, regardless of what is that underlying platform you're running in them on public, right. private, etc. And so, so I think it's a very very important discussion to have, um, especially for the vendors to really participate in it early on at this phase and and give importance to it. But I think end users can just rely on hopefully vendors doing the right thing uh, because I think they have more important questions to answer at this point. Yep. Yep. No, I would tend to agree. I, uh, it's, it's very early days in the container world and, and people have bigger problems to, to sort of worry about. Well, listen, um, so this has been very, very helpful. Um, you know, obviously as, as you move into the next stage of the business phase of the business, um, you know, you're, you're looking for ways for people to, to engage with what you do. What's, what's the best way for people to, you know, engage with platform nine, try out the service. What's a, what's a common sort of first step often for you guys with, with your customers? Definitely. So trying out our product is super easy. Just go to our website, platform9.com, and uh, sign up for a free trial. It takes literally uh, less than a minute to do that. Um, But even otherwise, if you want to get in touch with us, you can DM us on Twitter. Uh, Our handle is at platform9sys. You can Twitter message me. You can DM me. My handle is uh, at Madura Maskowski. Or just write to us, info at platformline.com. So there's multiple ways to get in touch. We're always looking forward to interacting with our customers or end users in any any way we can. Very good. And will you guys be at any of the major events coming up in the fall season? Absolutely. So we're going to be attending VMworld um, 2015. We're going to be at the OpenStack Tokyo Summit. We're going to be at AWS reInvent. Um, so we have a number of events coming up. We, our, our event calendar is all packed for this year. Good, 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 good. So folks, if you see them out and about, um, you know, stop by, say hi, get to know what they're doing. I think, um, you know, to me, what what's really interesting is, um, you know, what what you do from a technology perspective is powerful, but what you're doing from a from a delivery and an economic perspective is is very, very, uh, you know, very appealing. Um, solves a lot of the the private cloud problems that people have struggled with over the last three or four years. So, um, so I'm excited that you guys are, are moving on to the next stage. It's always fun for us to see, um, you know, companies that we talk to early continue to be to be successful. And uh, you know, we wish you guys the best of luck. Um, so, with that, I'm going to wrap up for the uh, for the show. Um, you know, for uh, Madura and for Aaron, everybody, thanks for listening and uh, have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 